Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. It's a universal language. There's also another universal language, and that is the love of a grandparent. And all over the world, every culture, every tribe, every nation rep recognizes grandparents, not necessarily on this day, but in their own way. They have different names for grandparents. In, in uh, Ukraine, they're called Baba and Gigi. In Greece, they're called Yaya and Papush. What's your grandparent name? Is it how many, how many nanas we got out there? Come on, where are the nanas at? Just wave at me. I'll see some nanas. <laughs> we got any pawpaws out there? Come on, we got some pawpaws. Go ahead and stick your chest out, pawpaw. We got any Mimas? Mama? We got any Madias? Come on, where Madia at? Madia? <laughs> we got some big mamas and big daddies? Where they at? There they are, there they are. GG. That's GG. <laughs> any Grams and Gramps? We got a new generation of uh, grandparents today. They don't want to be called granddaddy and grandmama. It's like, no, nah, that's too old for me. Call me queen mother or queen diva or something. But whatever your grandparent name is, we salute you and honor you today. Amen. Yeah, let's honor the grandparents once again. I is one. And uh, somebody told me when I became a grandparent, they said, grandparenting is God's reward for you not killing your own children. <laughs> Amen. For all the mistakes that they made, it just comes back in a blessing. Hallelujah. I remember um, my own childhood, as Pastor Jason shared with us, his rem remembrances of his grandfather. And you know, grandparenting takes us through another stage of life. And I want to try to help all of us, young and old, parents, 
children and grandparents understand today that grandparenting is a special stage. We're all going through stages. And when I was in my childhood, I mean the, my early adolescent stage, my grandparents were at a different stage of life. And uh, we used to go down south to Mississippi. I never knew my, my fraternal, my father's, grand, my father's parents, but I very much knew my mother's parents. And they were from Mississippi, and we would travel to the south during the summer vacation when we were out of school. And uh, every year, it just changed that we went, because as I was going through a stage of life, so were they. And our parents would leave me and my siblings and our other cousins there with, with our grandparents. And I remember even in my teenage years, uh, a lesson that my grandparents taught me. Um, they didn't have, you know, grocery stores and gas stations in the country. They had these little shacks that like uh, every, uh, every other Saturday, it might be open for where you can get groceries and you can buy candy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we would wait till that special Saturday to use our allowance that our parents sent us. They may send us a couple of dollars, but it was a lot of money to us back then. And we would go and, and we'd walk the mile or mile and a half in the country to get to the corner candy store. I guess, I guess it was a corner store. And I remember one particular time that I came back and I had bags of candy. And when I got back to my grandmother's uh, house, and she and granddaddy were sitting on the front porch in their chairs. And grandmama looked at me and said, did you buy me anything? Whoo, man. Yeah, y'all know how I felt. And I said, uh, no, grandmama, I didn't buy you anything. And then she said, well, let me see what you got to show for it. Now, that, was, that was the one word for her. Show for it, but it means what do you have to show forward or show for it? It means what did you buy that's of worth? What did you buy that will last you beyond, you know, just the momentary sugar rush? So she taught me several lessons. She taught me the lesson of generosity, but she also taught me the lesson of investing and using money wisely. And not just consuming it upon my own self. Then I remember later on in life after my grandfather passed away. And of course, he went through another stage of adulthood when he had cancer and brain cancer and eventually died in his, in his 70s. And so my grandmother was a widow. And she was now then therefore free to travel to visit her, her children. She came to Milwaukee once and she visited my mom and stayed with us. And uh, my wife, Lady Judy and I, we were not married at the time. We were dating and we were doing sanctified dating as well. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all looking at me like, well, that's dating without sex because we were believers in Christ. And um, my grandmother, it was time for her to go back to Mississippi. And so we volunteered to drive her back. Um, and so my wife and I drove my grandmother back. It was like driving Miss Daisy. Grandma was sitting in the back. Me and my, my, my wife-to-be in the front seat driving and when we got to, to her home in Mississippi, our plan was that we were going to, you know, rest that night, you know, get some sleep. And then Lady Jude and I were going to drive back. We we're going to stay at my grandmother's house. And so my grandmother, she played a joke on my wife. And uh, she said, when we got to her house, okay, she said, okay, this is you and Frankie. That's my nickname. She said, this is you and Frankie's room. And my wife said, uh-uh. 
we ain't sleeping together. And my grandmother just laughed. She got a big kick out of that. But she knew that we were dating and living a sanctified life. So that night, and uh, down in Mississippi, as, as we were all in bed, and I was in a different room, my grandmother was in her room, and Lady Julie was in another bedroom. Um, and if you've ever been in the country, there's no, elect, there's no street lights in the country. I mean, if the moon ain't shining, you ain't got no light. You just better know where, you better know the road and count your steps, right? And my wife, and the lights were out in the middle of the night. My wife had to get up and go to the bathroom. She wasn't familiar with the house. And uh, when, she, when she woke up in the middle of the night, it was just pitch black. She, her bed was right next to the window. So she, she felt for the, for the curtain, opened up the curtain, looked out. She didn't see anything. The lights were out in the house, and my wife said, oh, I'm blind, I'm blind, I lost my sight. <laughs> she wasn't blind, she was in the country. <laughs> so we go through stages. I've gone through the stage, and after my wife and I did get married, we had a son. And I remember going to Africa, um, shortly thereafter for the first time, and I met one of the African pastors, and I asked him about his family. How many children do you have? He told me he had like six kids, and I said, how many boys, how many girls, and who's the oldest? He stuck his chest out and said, I got me a boy. My oldest is a boy. He said it with pride, and so since that time, I've been telling my son, I got me a boy. When I write on his birthday cards and Christmas and other cards, I, I put the abbreviation I-G-M-A-B, exclamation part. I got me a boy. And when he was born 32 years ago, I thought I couldn't surpass the joy and the high that I felt that day, May 19, 1986. I'm telling you, you couldn't tell me anything. I was on cloud 11, not 9, 10. I passed 10, went on to 11. But then, who? 20 years later, I went on another cloud. Because my granddaughter was born. I had nothing to do with it. But I experienced the greatest joy and the greatest high you know what it was? It wasn't that it was better than having a son, but it was new. Because grandparenting is a season of longing. You're going through stages. All of us are going through these seasons and these stages of life. And when, when we are going through a season as grandparents, we need to recognize that our children are also going through stages. And so what we used to do for them when they were at a childhood stage or an adolescent stage or a teenage stage, when they become parents and you become older in another stage, you no longer can do for them what you used to do. And so you long, you miss, y'all know what I'm talking about? You miss them sitting at the table eating. You miss bossing them around, tell them, did you make your bed up? You miss those conversations, but they're going through stages of life. So grandparenting is introducing us to another season. It's a season of longing. It's, it, it's a season and a new stage of living and loving again. Because it's not that you don't love your children, but it's different now 
And when the grandchildren come along, it gives you an opportunity all over again to live again, to love again. Because listen, I'm just going to let y'all know, grandparents, it's all about unconditional love. When you're a grandparent, you have more unconditional love. And a lot of it is because you recognize some of the mistakes that you made with your children. You get a chance to, to have a do-over. You also recognize that your children have grown up so fast that if you could, you would turn back the hands of time, you would slow time down, and you would do some things differently. And when the grandchildren come along, oh, I got a chance to live again. I got a chance to shower some unconditional love upon these kids. And God help me, I'm going to do it if it's the last thing that I do on this, on this earth. So children... Understand what your, what your parents are going through. Parents, understand what those grandparents are going through. We're all going through stages. And when you're a grandparent, it's all about giving away love. Let me take you to a scripture in Matthew chapter 3. This is when Jesus was coming to John. We talked about this last week of releasing that next generation of giant killers, uh, of how Jesus and John had a... Um, a very affirming relationship of each other. And Jesus came to John to be baptized, and John tried to stop him and said, hey, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus says, hey, just allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill our righteousness. But verse 16 says, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heaven suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God was saying, I got me a boy. I'm pleased with him. I'm proud of him. I affirm him. I, I love him. And, and what he was con con communicating was that he has an unconditional love for Jesus, which means that Jesus didn't have to do anything to earn his father's love. That's what grandparenting is a picture of. You love your children, but you love your grandchildren without merit, without any effort. All they did was be born and you just have this, this unconditional love. You have this longing fulfilled. You have this, this new life. You have this opportunity to love again and to shower and adore them the way that God loves us. That Matthew 3, 16, 17 is, scripture is a picture of the grace of God and the way that he loves you and me. He loves us with, an, with a grace and a mercy, with an undeserved kindness and an unmerited favor. All you, do, all you did was just show up. Jesus hadn't raised anybody from the dead. He hadn't cast out any demons. He hadn't even preached his first sermon. He hadn't even encountered the devil in the wilderness. And the father said, you know what? I approve of you. I love you. I affirm you. You just showed up. That's a picture of a grandparent's love. You don't have to achieve. All you got to do is receive. It's interesting, as, as, as I looked at the scripture and I looked at grandparents, I came to understand that unconditional love is often misunderstood. Sometimes grandparents are misunderstood. God's love is misunderstood. 
And when it's misunderstood, it can be resented and even resisted. I want to help parents to, to understand where your parents are coming from as it relates to their grandchildren. So that you don't resent or resist the unconditional love or, or even don't compare it to the way that you were loved by your parents. God is a giver and he lives to give. In fact, Jesus said in, in Acts chapter 20, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and grandparents live to love. They live to give. It's part of their DNA. You can't take it out of them. I'm talking about healthy grandparents. But sometimes even parents don't understand this, and they can resent and resist this unconditional love. Here's an example. The prodigal son. We know the younger son went away and took the inheritance and, and wasted it in prodigal living. But there was another son who was at home. This, this older brother, he resented and he resisted the unconditional love that his father showed to his brother. When his brother came back home, the father wouldn't even hear his confession. The, the son had already prepared, I'm going to say this, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. Make me a servant. Let me work. The father said, listen, he, he not, he's not even going to hear that. He's not going to hear works. He's going to give him unconditional love. He's going to put shoes on his feet, a ring on his hand, a robe on his back. He's going to kill the fatted calf, and he's going to give him grace, undeserved kindness. The older brother was out in the field working. Nobody told him to go out there and work. Nobody told him that he had to perform. All he had to do was just stay close to the father. And the father literally told him, listen, son, all that I have is yours. He said, Father, I've been working for you, and you've never killed a fatted calf. You've never thrown a party for me. The father said, listen, all I have is yours. All you have to do is just ask and receive. It's there for you. You don't have to work for it. But he wouldn't come into the house to celebrate the love feast that his father gave to the, to the younger son. He reminds me of another feast and another dinner table, a table of grace that was spread before a certain man. You all remember King David. And when King David uh, was on his way to the throne, Saul was always persecuting David. Saul is another picture of, of someone who resents and resists the unconditional love of a, of a parent or grandparent or, the, or God the father. Saul was always running behind David trying to kill him, trying to persecute him. And then when Saul died, because David had a covenant with his son Jonathan, they swore that they would always show kindness, not only to one another, but to all of their descendants as long as they lived. And the story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9, just giving you a picture of this unconditional love and this love feast, this table of grace that God sets before us. In verse 1, it says that David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, There is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. King asked him, where is he? Ziba answered, you will find him in Lodabar at the house of Maker, son of Amiel. 
So, the, so King David had him brought from the house of Maker, son of Amiel and Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell down, and paid homage to David. David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather's Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you take interest in a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth didn't understand this, this unconditional love. He didn't, he didn't work for it. He didn't deserve it. But, but what David understood is that you don't have to work for it. I've already established a covenant with your father, Jonathan. And, and you and I, in the same way, we don't work for salvation. Jesus has already established a covenant with our Heavenly Father. And when you are in Christ, you are therefore a recipient of everything that the Father has. It's unconditional love. And people don't understand that. They resist it and sometimes they even resent it. In verse 11, David has commanded Ziba and his sons to tend the farm fields of Saul so that Mephibosheth would always have what he needed. In verse 11, Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Verse 13 says Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. That's a picture of you and I sitting at the table of love and at the, at the, at the banquet of grace that Jesus has prepared for us. And we don't deserve it. Listen, underneath that tablecloth are your sins is your brokenness, is your sickness, is all of the wickedness that you've thought and that you've done and that has been done to you. We don't deserve it, but listen, Jesus has established a blood covenant with us through his Father. Hallelujah. So just, just bring your brokenness, your tiredness, and bring it to the table of the Lord. Jesus is covering it and says, you always are going to eat at my table. Come on, we can give him better praise than that. Hallelujah. I believe that, that God wants us to know that we're his children, that we need to live in this confidence, that we're no longer, there's a song that says, I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I don't have to fear. I would imagine Mephibosheth constantly lived in fear that somebody was going to come and kill him, that David was going to come and to kill him because he was a descendant of Saul and Jonathan and would be a threat to David's throne. But David said, listen, don't fear. I haven't come to kill you. I've come to bless you. You're going to always eat at my table. And that's what, that's what grandparenting is like. Grandparenting is a picture of unconditional love. We live to love. Here's a second key. Grandparenting is about living and leaving a legacy of faith behind. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 through 7, it's a picture for us of Paul entering into a relationship with Timothy and Paul re reminding Timothy 
of his parentage, of the legacy of faith that's been left behind. Let's read it together in verse 1. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So you see that chain of faith that's been passed down. It started with Timothy's grandmother, Lois. She passed it on to her daughter, Eunice. And Eunice and Lois passed it on and invested and released a giant killer in young Timothy. But Paul found this young man. And Acts chapter 16 gives us the the story that that Paul left a city called Derbe and went to a city called Lystra. And there he found a disciple named Timothy. Now Timothy had already been discipled in his household. He was already a leader in the church. But Timothy's father perhaps was not a believer because, because that scripture says that Timothy was a son of a believing Jewish woman. But says, but his father was Greek. So maybe, maybe his father was saved. Scripture doesn't say. But it doesn't say he was a believer. He might have been dead. He might have been one who resisted this grace and resisted this love. We don't know that. But we do know that Timothy had been discipled by his grandmother and his mother. And Paul sees this young man and he adopts him as a spiritual son. He says, I'm going to help raise and release another giant killer in the earth. I want to encourage you, you single parents and single grandparents out there, that listen, it happened for Eunice and it happened for Lois, and God can take care of your children as well. They left a legacy of faith behind. Timothy came along and picked it up. and Paul came alongside of Timothy and helped him all the more. Let me tell you something else that grandparents represent. This is the third key. They represent longevity. I entitled this message, Great Grandparents. I'm not talking about the number of grandchildren that you have. I'm talking about being a great, a good, and a godly grandparent. And you've got to recognize that, that it's, it represents longevity. It represents a, a, the power of steadfastness, having a staying power. That's what grandparenting is. It's longevity. I'm not going anywhere. I was there yesterday. I'm here today and I'm going to be here tomorrow by God's grace. That's that unconditional love that won't give up. And and it's it's, grandparents are needed because I'm going to tell you why. Because remember I said parents, just like children, are going through stages of life. And grandparents, while your children are going through their stages of life, they're trying to learn and trying to navigate a place in this world. They're trying to figure out who they are, who they want to be, who they want to marry, where they want to live, what kind of job they want to have, how much money they want to make, do they want to serve God or not, how they want to, you know, where they want to worship. They're trying to navigate. They're trying to learn how to swim in in the currents of culture. 
They've been telling, telling about the, the choppy waters in Lake Michigan recently, how the waves are just, you know, dangerous and encouraging people to stay away from the waves. Stay off your boats and stay, don't swim out there. And that's what, that's what parenting is like today. Our children are in those waves. Some of them are drowning. Some of them are trying to find their own way. But listen, some of you grandparents, you learned how to swim. Some of you almost drowned, but thank God you learned how to swim. Amen. You went down a time or two. But you're still here. And you represent longevity and steadiness. You've gone through divorces. You've gone through evictions. You've gone through job losses. You've gone through medical conditions and sicknesses. You've gone through relational chaos. You've gone through everything with your own children. And now your children are going through the same thing. You represent steadfastness and longevity. And I know that you, could, you are saying to your children, listen, I can help you if you want my help. But what do you do? How do you speak to your children when you disagree with their parenting or disagree with their decisions, disagree with their style, disagree with who they're dating or who they married and how they treat or discipline their, their children, your grandchildren? The reality is that we need to, this is a very powerful and practical point because there are many parents and grandparents that are not even on speaking terms. Don't look at nobody, just keep looking at me. But I know this is true. I want to help parents and I want to help grandparents with this. I'm going to put the responsibility, first of all, on the grandparents. Grandparents, we got to learn, we have to honor and we have to accept the boundaries that parents have set up. I ain't get many amens on that, but it's still true. We have to honor the parents' boundaries. We have to honor their, their boundaries of time and space. To say, hey, if my, if my, my kids stay with you, they got to be in bed by 830 don't be like, oh, we can stay up to 1030. That's what we do. Well, you in my house now. No, you got to honor the boundaries, time and space. You got to honor the rules and the practices. And I know that for some of you all, you saying huh, he was preaching good until now. But your age and your rank does not overrule the parents' boundaries. Just because you're a grandparent don't, don't give you a get out of jail free card you can't just do whatever you want to do and I know the scripture says well and some of you all are saying well what does the Bible say in, in Exodus 20 in Ephesians 6 honor thy mother and father that's right it does say honor but don't say obey come on when you grown and you a parent of your own children don't mean that you got to obey the grandparents you got to honor them so that's a responsibility for the parents. Figure out how to honor those grandparents. And I'll talk about that at the end. But here's a biblical example of how to do this. When the decisions don't, you know, you don't agree with the direction, style, and the leadership and the decisions of the parents. So Jethro had grandchildren through Moses and Zipporah, the Ethiopian woman that he married. And in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, I, I don't have time to read all this, so I'll paraphrase it. Jethro came to visit Moses after they had been delivered out of Egypt 
And Moses, and in fact, Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and the children back to the father. That's another story right there. So when you have marital strife, your children have marital strife, grandparents, you need to learn how to navigate that. That's another sermon for another day. But Jethro took Zipporah back in and he said, you know what? I'm taking you back to your husband. Hello, grandparents. You can stay here, baby, as long as you want. No, you can't. You got to go back home. You got to go back home. In fact, sometime when they ring the doorbell, ding dong, look out the door. What you want? <laughs> well, we ain't getting along well. What you want in here? <laughs> sometime you got to take them back home. So Jethro took Zipporah back home. And while he was there, he thanked God for delivering Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt. And then he began to watch Moses' leadership as Moses sat at the seat of judgment from morning to evening. And then he spoke to Moses and said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why are you sitting all day as a judge with all the people? Moses says, well, because the people come to me to seek God's will. And Jethro said, listen, son, you're doing it the wrong way. What you need to do is that you need to delegate. You need to appoint some of these decisions to some other faithful people. Those who have greater uh, levels of skill and integrity and ability, give them bigger problems. And then the problems that they can't handle, let only those come to you. So you do only what you can do. The Bible says that Moses, he listened to the advice of Jethro. And he did everything that he said. But hey, that story ended well. But come on, a lot of our families ain't they're not ending that well. We're not even speaking to each other. We're in disagreement. There's strife. Whenever the grandparents and the grandkids are together, the parents are sticking their lip out and they, they unhappy. And the grandparents are unhappy with the decisions and the style of the parents. So here's the takeaway for grandparents. Not only do you have to honor the boundaries that the parents set, but you got to be like Kenny Rogers a little bit. Y'all remember Kenny Rogers, the gambler? He said, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to turn away and throw them cards in and walk away and run. So you have to learn as a grandparent when to speak up and when to step back. That's, that's what Jethro learned or he demonstrated. You got to know when you can say something and how to say it and what to say. And only give advice when there's an open door for it. So as a grandparent, we need to look for open doors of invitation with the parents. We need to look for those open doors. Because I know you, you, remember, you're in that stage of longing. You got a lot of stuff in you. You got a lot of love. You see, you see that you only got a few, few years left and you don't want to die full. You want to die empty. And you got this longing. You want to live again. You want to love. And you see opportunities. But listen, you got to see an open door with the parent. Not with the grandkids. You're always going to see open doors with the grandkids. they always going to yeah, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Come on, my, door, my house is always open, Grandma. But no, that's not the gate that you go through. You go through the gate of the parent. And you got to look for open doors. And you got to look for invitations only. With the parents. Because these parents are in this, they're in that current, they're in that, that, that river called life. And they're trying to swim against the stream and some of them are drowning. 
and they're going through a lot of trial and error. Probably more error than trial. And you see mistakes being made because you were there once and you were like, hey, I got the T-shirt, the coffee mug. I've been around the world, around the block a few times. But you can't just throw your advice out there. You got to look for an open door. And literally, you have to let them learn the hard way. I'm talking about the parents. Let them learn the hard way. And as you're sitting there like Jethro, you can say, you know what? I got some experience in that area. If you need some help, I'd be glad to help you. <laughs> but you can't force it on them. If you force it on them, they're going to resist you. They're going to resent you. Let me give some closing advice to the parents who may be having a difficult time navigating the stages of life and finding a place in life, but also finding a good fit for your children's grandparents. The Bible does say, honor your mother and father. No, you don't have to obey them. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. So I would just say that every parent who, who is here today who is having difficulty navigating relationship with your children's grandparents, then listen, if your life is not going well, if your life is not uh, at a place of peace, if there's no fruitfulness, if there's no harmony, maybe it's because you're not honoring you got to find a way to honor. Here's some, here's some practical takeaways to help honor your mother and father. Understand that your grandparents have this, this longing and they got this bucket full of unconditional love. Every day, God is filling their bucket of unconditional love. And, and sometimes it's a crazy love. Don't resent it. Don't resist it. I know you don't understand it. I know they didn't love you and raise you that way. I know, I know, I get it, I get it. You couldn't get away with that like your grandkids, like their grandkids are. Don't resent it, don't resist it. Just understand that they need to pour out this unconditional love. First of all, just understand it. Secondly, look for ways to create lasting memories. Look for ways to allow your, grand, your, your parents to create lasting memories with you and with your children. You initiate that. Spend time with those parents and your children. And even allow them time alone without you present. It's going to be all right. And like Timothy, carry on those lessons that your parents taught you. This is the last thing that I'll say, and then I want to do something special with grandparents. Now that my parents are both deceased, my, all four of my grandparents are deceased. Never had an opportunity to meet my father's parents. Never had an opportunity to meet my great-great or my great-grandparents. That's the reality of life. So take every opportunity that you have. I'm speaking to the parents now. Take every opportunity that you have to hug, to kiss, 
and to say I love you to your parents. I'm telling you, because there's going to come a day that you're going to wish you could. And they're going to be gone. Never miss a day. Never miss a day of honoring your parents. God takes note of that. Your life will go well. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.